Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to the Stages podcast. Today, a very special episode where we throw the spotlight on one of our previous guests. With over 200 episodes in the Stages archive, it's time that we revisited conversations featured in previous seasons. Stages showcases such episodes in case you didn't catch them the first time around, or perhaps you'd like to enjoy them a second time. Either way, you're accessing vibrant oral histories that document Australia's rich artistic heritage. Today we feature an episode that uh, was podcast on May 9th, 2019, with casting director Jan Russ. A variety of performance roles in the ranks of J.C. Williamson-produced musicals gave Jan Russ a first-hand knowledge of the actor's craft. Her informed eye and passion for talent ultimately led her to a role in which she was able to guide and nurture actors as they entered residency in one of Australia's most iconic locations, Ramsey Street, Erinsborough. Casting came calling initially to Jan through Crawford Productions, the production house responsible for an extensive repertoire of great Australian content. A move to the Grundy organisation provided a casting role that oversaw the population of the Wentworth Detention Centre in the iconic series Prisoner. It wasn't long before she was on the ground floor of a new series originally titled Living Together. It would eventually be christened Neighbours and go on to become part of the echelon of Australian television history and make its mark around the world. For almost 30 years, Jan was the casting director of this television juggernaut, Neighbours. Jan possesses an infinite knowledge of the craft of acting on stage and screen. She's a living legend and a fine raconteur who converses with enormous joy and ardour, giving stages a fascinating insight to the business of casting and a unique journey in the theatre. Jan was guest number 42 and featured in season two of the Stages podcast. Yeah, you go in there, all the carrots look the same, the bananas look the same. And they're all misshapen. Yeah, but well, and the misshapen ones are thrown away, which is such a waste. Such a I mean, what they should do for people, because I love to juice, you know, mm. and I think be perfect for juicing. Mm. Yes, exactly. Absolutely perfect for tastes juicing. Tastes the same. It tastes exactly the same, and you're not looking at them going, oh, but everybody wants that perfection that it's got to look, you know, perfect and right. And you go, but why? You know, if you pick it off a tree, it's not going to look perfect. It's going to taste delicious. <laughs> Who cares what it looks like? Who cares what it looks like? Mm, mm. Lovely to sit down with you today. We are in a suburb of Melbourne that you grew up in. I did. I grew up here in Maribyrnong. And um, I was actually born here in Maribyrnong at at my parents' home. Is that far from where you are now? Not very far at all. It's probably within 15 minutes walk. So what brought you back? I mean, they often say that we gravitate back towards the place that we, we grew we up do, in. We do, don't we? But, yes, but why, yes. why have you done that? I I don't know. I think because there was a friend who, who, who lives here and, and my family obviously live on this side of the city. I lived over the other side for many, many years. And uh, coming back again, I saw a change in the place that I really liked. And um, so I think that sort of helped me. I thought, I thought, no, I think I want to go back to that side of town so to what you, live, yeah. So what are your neighbours like? Have you got good neighbours? I've got good neighbours, yeah. Are good neighbours become good friends? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see what I was doing there? Oh, very clever, very clever. <laughs> well, that was a neighbour that just rang me before and, and you know, often, we often pop over and we have a little drink, a little tipple or something now and again, which is very nice. Oh, that's nice. And, you know, you know everybody here, which is, which is terrific. Yeah. And even when I just go to the shopping centre, because I'm back home where I started off, I run into people sometimes I haven't seen for a long time. Right. Oh, excellent. Yep. Which that I love. That you might have gone to school with or grown up with. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, you know. So what was your childhood like? Yeah. My childhood growing up here was really um, fantastic because it was a very simple lifestyle sort of back then. And, in fact, every year or every couple of times a year, I actually catch up with um, some of the girls that I actually grew up with here. We went to primary school, we went to kindergarten together, and we do a catch-up 
every now and again. And it was like a little community unto its own. So, you know, your neighbours would come around if someone was sick and they'd bring the casseroles or a cake and we'd play out in the yard until it was dark, until mum called us in for dinner and all that sort of thing. Or until and the street lights went on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and everybody knew everybody. And the kookaburras would wake you up in the morning and the Salvation Army Band on Christmas morning would be playing outside the window. And, I mean, it was it was a wonderful well, it would almost be like in. growing up in the country at that particular Absolutely. time. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. it's now very developed. Exactly, and, yeah. And part of I mean, city. I used to ride the scooter around to the local milk bar and I'd go in and and, um, and and then I'd forget because I'd be busy talking to people and I'd walk home and I'd think, get home and go, oh, my scooter. I'd go back the next day and it'd still be sitting outside the shop because everybody knew it was my scooter. So that's what it was like. But these days you can't leave anything outside for no. 20 seconds. No, no. It's gone. It's gone. Mm. What sort of child were you? A happy oh, kid? Oh, it's perfect. Perfect, perfect <laughs> child. Right, very good. <laughs> well, I was a bit spoilt because I was the youngest of five and I was a girl after my parents had four boys. Oh, right, okay. So, so I was a bit spoilt. Did they look after you, the boys? Well, they did. They were older than, than myself. Right. Um, but when they would come round to the family for the family dinner on Sunday night, um, they would have to sit quietly while Jan performed. So you're a performer. When I was very young, on the hit parade, I used to have to all, all the songs I would sing. I was only about four or something, but probably I didn't know all the words. But they had to be quiet while Jan was performing. So mm. where were you learning that from? Uh, were you I don't know. Folks, I, fan? Did they used to tune into the hit parade? Oh yeah, and, and and my grandfather was sort of in involved in vaudeville. What was his act? And. My dad's father. Yeah, he said, what was his act? Was oh, he a comedian? He was, or a, he was a, um, a bit of a tap dancer or right. something, I think, you yep. know. I haven't sort of delved into that part a lot. And then he became um, a stage door, stage door guy at the Theatre Royal in um, uh, 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 Broken Hill. Which I went to recently, but the theatre's no longer there, but there is a hotel called Theatre Royal or something like that, I think, yeah. Right. And and then my grandmother had a apparently had a, a beautiful singing voice. And my mother, when she was very young, apparently appeared in a couple of films. Early Australian films. Early Australian films. Right. Mm. Mm. It'd be nice if you'd find those on video. I know, yeah. I know, but yeah. sort of trying to find those is sort of probably I don't know. What were the artistic influences that you had as a child? I mean, other than the hit parade, did, were you going to the pictures regularly? Oh, or? my mother would take me to live shows. Oh, great. You're very you lucky. know, always yeah. take me to live shows. So she, she had an interest in it, so she always took me to those. And then um, when I was very young at school, um, I used to make up plays with the other kids and then I joined a local youth drama group. And we did the, it was the Victorian Association of Youth Clubs and we used to sort of put on plays and go into competitions. But I was very lucky because our teacher was a teacher who trained at RADA, Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Yep. And Who was that? Um, Judith, oh, God, you're really pulling well, on my um, memory, aren't you? My <laughs> God, how am I going to remember that far back? You oh, might win a car. Oh my God! Answers, right? Judy, Judy, <laughs> her name was. But was she, was she Australian or English? She was Australian, right. but she okay, but she'd she, gone over and studied. She'd gone over and studied at at Rada. Yeah. And <clears throat> because we were Western suburbs, she was sort of you know came out to sort of look after the the, the kids. You see, so I was very fortunate. She sort of took me under her wing, and so I learned a great deal from her. So she was my first sort of mentor, I suppose, into that into that world. And uh, so we did competition work around Australia and all that sort of thing. and things. All those things, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Mum taking you to live theatre. Do you remember some of the shows that you saw? I remember seeing Evie Hayes in Annie Get Your Gun. Fantastic. And I, I remember my mother taking me to the Tivoli. Uh, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, I remember seeing. And I remember... At the Tivoli Theatre, we were right up in the gods because that's where we were going. We were right in the back row and I was terrified. I remember hanging on to the back seat and people going past. My hands were bleeding because I was so terrified being up there. But I was just taken with the whole 
experience and pantos used to be back then and all that so mum used to take me to all those and that was just magical a magical world to me that I felt I wanted to be a part of somehow so it seemed that you were destined to sort of join the arts somehow yeah but back, back then you didn't know how to go about things well, I, I guess there were no training institutions there was no training there was none of that that's why I was fortunate when I went to this youth group to have yeah. um, Judy as my as my teacher and and then I, I took over as um, from her job as directing shows and all that with the youth and then um, one day I sort of thought oh, I'd like to to sing and do a musical so I went to a local amateur group Northern Light Opera and auditioned and got into um, the desert song. Oh. <laughs> Mandatory <laughs> grounding for any performer. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, opera is a style within itself, isn't I know, it? mm. I know. And that was the very first <clears throat> musical I ever did. What sort of, what vocal type were you? Alto. Alto, right. Mm, yeah. mm, mm. But I played the uh, girl that caught Azuri's cup when she threw it. <laughs> And I remember the dress rehearsal. I didn't catch it smashed on the floor. I went, oh, my God, is this my, you know, start into musical theatre? But anyway, I caught it every night from... Well, that's with a lot of uh, anxiety, I suppose, leading up to it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So that was my very first musical. And that was was it into musical theatre. From then on, that was... You were hooked. I was hooked. So what did your parents think? Of their daughter <laughs> wanting to join, run away and join the theatre. <clears throat> well, they were quite happy for me to do amateur theatre. You know, of course, it's a good. That was uh, all right. A social outlet. That was okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and because my father sort of said, you know, you've got to work in the government because it's a good, reliable job. And uh, but then one day I sort of thought, no, I would like to do this professionally. I'd like to do this as a full time job. So back then there was the listener in. Which, which was is, a which weekly was like publication? Which was TV week, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they used to actually, the ads for auditions would be in there. And I remember seeing this big ad, Her Majesty's Theatre, ad for Oliver. They were looking for people for the new show to go along and audition and what you had to take. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go along and audition. And I thought, well, I tell my parents and I thought, no, I won't. I'll just go along and audition and see what happens. So I remember going along and uh, to Her Majesty's Theatre and Brian Buggy was the uh, musical director of the show, met Brian, and Betty Pounder was there. And so I went on stage and sang my song. I'm just trying to remember what it was because I can't remember what it was. And then they asked me to, to read a little bit of um, the Widow Corny character, which I did. And then they asked me to sing a little bit of that song. And I, I did that, and that was the end of the audition. So was this it, like we see in the movies, you walk out onto a darkened oh, auditorium yep, yep. and they're out there. And, and there was just the piano on the stage right. and they're out in that dark auditorium this voice is coming out, hello, <laughs> you know, what's your name, all that sort of thing. So was that the Madge or the comedy? <laughs> the Madge. The Madge, was it? Right. Mm, okay. mm, mm. Wow. And so then a few days later... I get a phone call saying, we've got the job. You start rehearsals on such and such a day and you're going to be touring Australia and New Zealand with the show. Um, you didn't have an agent, I guess. No, no, no. Wouldn't, wouldn't many people have had agents no, at that time? Not I suppose agent, no, agents not didn't really, exist. Not really, no, so not you, did, you just yeah. dealt immediately with the firm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so then I had to tell my parents. Oh, good luck. And my parents weren't that happy because they felt that it wasn't a good job reliable job for a girl to go into and besides that there are a lot of funny people in that business you know oh don't know about that and then they talked about it and they said all right well do this show and you'll get it out of your blood well hello that never happened did it it's probably the worst thing you could have (laughs) (laughs) so I continued on um so that was uh that was a great because that was with Tony Lamond and Richard Wordsworth and Tony Sheldon, of course, who was now hugely successful. Yes, was was an orphan. Was no, not initially. He was, was just it? the little boy who used to come in. Oh, okay, to the, the show to, with his mum. With his mum, yeah. 
and he used to come into the show and he'd, you know, chat to us girls and all that. And he used to write us fan letters. That's extraordinary. See, exactly. There's, there's a kid. Absolutely. And that, that sawdust was in his veins. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. And he loved it. He used to write us fan letters because he loved the show and loved chatting to us and all that sort of thing. And then they did um, um, a return season of it. And I think at that time then he was in the show as one of the orphans. It was quite a list of orphans too. I mean, oh, Nick Enright was also. Absolutely. Nick Enright, um, John Dietrich. Uh, David Atkins, I think David Atkins might have been in it at some stage. Yep, yep. So Um, quite a few of them. Yeah, and lovely, lovely Rob Dunbar is now a clay pole. Oh, Roddy, Roddy, yes, yes, is now a clay pole. Yes, I worked with uh, Roddy in in Oliver, and I worked with him in Fiddler on the Roof, and I worked with him in God's Belt. He endured in God, and I worked with Dord in in Fiddler on the Roof as well. Oh, great. Mm. Um, so that original production of Oliver, I imagine yep. that had the Sean Kenny sets. Did that was it the English production uh, that came out here? Yes, I think we did. We did. Yeah. We did because the first one was done with Sheila Bradley. Right. Okay. That was the first production of oh, it. We right. were like the second production. Right. Years later. A few years later. Yeah. With That's... Tony Lamont and Richard Wordsworth. So uh, Johnny Lockwood was in that original production. That's right. He was in Fagan. that one with, That's with right, Sheila. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so this was like a return season. A return season yeah, yeah. in a way, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And Richard Richard Wordsworth came out from England. He was also our director oh, of the show okay. as well. So we had our director working with us all the time. So oh, he had to behave. Of, oh, yes. yes, yes so yes, what, yes. what did you learn on that first professional show? Oh, God, I learned so much. It was it was fantastic because in the, in the chorus, uh, well, these wonderful ladies called um, Jean Batty and Olive Kingette. Who who had been big musical theatre stars in their time, and were the older um, generation, much older generation, who were sort of doing chorus work, and to listen to them and to their stories, and and they would be there, sort of giving us little. And Esme Melville, of course, was another one who was who I worked with on that show, um, who was another mentor of mine over the years. Um, but those older women were absolutely wonderful because they they'd sort of say. Don't do that, darling. This is the way you do it. And so I learned so much. I guess you're not you're from those women. An apprenticeship to them, aren't you? Absolutely. And learning on the job. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And Betty Pounder, of course, was just wonderful. Tell me about because uh, this is the great thing about stages too. I can do six degrees of separation. Mm. Betty Pounder. Tell me about her. <gasps> Betty Pounder, Miss Pounder, as we sort of would start calling her, Miss Pounder. Uh, was absolutely wonderful, and and she was wonderful to me, uh, in in that um, I was never out of work with her. Even when in in television, she gave me my first job back here in Australia again in television. Um, so I guess I was one of her little proteges. What or... was she doing in television? Then? She was a casting. Did she move into casting? Yeah, for right. Crawford Productions. Wow. Mm. Okay. Mm, mm. So she had a bit of a varied career, but she was uh, amazing. She would go. That, she would go to, or the firm would fly her to the states or London yes. to see a show, wouldn't they? And she'd yeah, come and back she, and recreate it. Absolutely, mm. because she'd sit there and take notes mm. to everything, and she would come back and recreate the whole thing. Absolutely, yeah. And 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 for those of you that worked hard and and you know had the talent, she was she was there behind you all the way. You know, she um, she couldn't. I don't think she could stand. You know, she couldn't stand fools or anything like that. But you know, if you had your passion and were dedicated to your craft, and proved yourself was, as a professional, absolutely, she was right behind you all the way, yeah. and would help and guide you with everything. Yep. So, what came along after Oliver? After Oliver was um, well, we we were in New Zealand, and um, I think it was. Um, Marion Edward, I think, had to um, fly back to do Man of La Mancha. And that was Marion Edward. Oh, God, see, the brain's going. So she had to fly back, and I was understudying Widow Corning. So I had to go on for the last part of the season in Christchurch as Widow Corning. Well, they had to pad me up and all of that sort of thing. Say, so it would have been a, a slip was, of a thing then. I was a you? slip of a girl then, yeah. yes, yes. So they had to pad me up and do all of that, and I had to do my work with Ormond Douglas. Work opposite Ormond Douglas, 
And uh, that Playing, was... Um, the Beatle. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Mr. Bumble. Mm. Mm. And that was... Oh, what a wonderful experience for a, a young Earl to have an opportunity to, to do that. Yeah. I mean, it was just extraordinary. And so at the... Um, at the last night, after the last night, <clears throat> and I was called to the prompt corner and it was a telephone call from Pounder saying, uh, we want you back, uh, we want you to start rehearsals on Tuesday for Man of La Mancha. Uh, so obviously because I'd done a good job. It was like an audition, I suppose, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I auditioned once for JC Williams and I never auditioned again. Wow. But you were being watched. I was being watched. Yeah. I was being watched. So I came back and went into um, La Mancha as uh, Maria, the innkeeper's wife opposite Terry McDermott. And that was, um, once again, an extraordinary amazing show to be in because it was um, a breakdown of what musicals were, the first of its type in a way like that of reality. Yes, an incredibly serious piece as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And in a way, it was sort of a bit, bit sort of semi-operatic, I suppose, yeah, in a way, yeah. more than your usual musical theatre that we'd had. And musical comedy. Musical comedy <laughs> theatre. Oh, absolutely. Let's get it right. Um, and, you know, because we had that incredible rape scene. That's right, yeah, which, which would have been shocking. Which was quite yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. And I remember on the dress rehearsal, um, Marnie Sumner was our director and Betty Pounder and that there, and they said, we've got to tone down the rape scene for opening night because it's all a bit too much. Um, so they had to sort of tone that down. And and sort of so opening night, did the show, the show finished, and there was this silence. And we're standing there on stage thinking, oh, my God, they hate us, they hated it. And then suddenly it was like a total uproar of people just going crazy and we had people standing in the aisles and in the sitting on the stairs and all that sort of thing um but then they stopped that because of the fire yes and restrictions restrictions and all that sort of thing but it was the most extraordinary um show and extraordinary time in theater to be involved in a night like that it was just magical and and the show was, you know, I mean, was hugely successful and it was a great cast and, you know, working with, with some of those people was just magical. Now, you went you off know. to New York for a brief period. I was did. It around I that went time? off to, you know, it was after that. After you finished It was La after I finished La Mancha. Right. And I went off to um, New York and and uh, at that time La Mancha was still playing on, on Broadway and I went to, to see it because Marnie Sumner, our director, was involved with it on Broadway. So he organised for me to go and see the show. So you just went to New York for a holiday? Yeah, I was yeah. on my way to, um, yeah, I went over there and then I was sort of thinking, oh, maybe I'd go to England. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I'd been in yeah. San Francisco on holiday as well. And because uh, I went to um, New York to catch up with a friend there and and that's why I went, you know, I was in yes, Broadway. Yes, well go and see Obviously. the major. Yeah. yeah. And so I went along and Marnie there and he sort of said, oh, we'd like to catch up with you for lunch and I want you to meet someone. And so um, we went to, I went to lunch with them a couple of days later and they offered me my role again in um, in, in the show, in, in La Mancha, in, in New York. And then to do also then do a tour with the show as well. And it was a bit overwhelming and... But at that time, and I sort of said, oh, yes, yes. And then at that time I was terribly homesick and it was a bit sort of terrifying and overwhelming and I thought, oh, God, you know, if I, I'm going to stay here all this time and I'm, you know, I'm going to go home to family and oh. so I came home. And then um, like 12 or 18 months later when Marnie came back to do um, the reprise of the show, um, he sort of said to friends of mine there, what happened to Jen? You know, we were going to use her and, you know, she sort of disappeared. So that was my big break on Broadway. You sound like fam <laughs> <laughs> family's very you know, important to you, though. They were. 
they were. And it's different now. It's a whole because the world sort of got so a lot smaller. smaller with uh, social media and exactly, Skype exactly. and Exactly. And I mean, back then, it took three weeks for an aerogram right. to arrive right. or something like that, you know. So and it was. Who could afford a phone call? Who could afford a phone call? And I mean, it was really, you know, it was really hard. Do you ever regret that? That, Look, uh, um, I did for a while, and I I realised that in life you can't have regrets. It's not worth it. You've because got to move it's that on. Old cliche: when one door closes, another one opens. And, Look, I would have never it, have done what I've done. Yeah, exactly. We would never have had the great career that exactly, uh, and and what you've given us exactly, in exactly. So um, I guess you know, as you say, you 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 travel one road, and you so I sometimes still think, you know, I wonder what would have happened. How many Tonys would you have? I <laughs> know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you, you just don't know what what road, right. which way it could have taken you. And then in the end, um, I came back uh, and did Fiddler on the Roof. Another great Fiddler show. Fiddler on the Roof, yeah. So that was, um, I'm trying to think of your tibia. It was... Um, uh, Hayes Gordon. Hayes Gordon. And what, was, what was he like? He was... He was he was wonderful to work with. He was very strict. Um, he didn't like anybody drinking, right? Because he, he, you know, he was uh, had been that way himself. So yes, yes. he didn't like to smell the alcohol on anyone's yeah. breath or anything like that. But he was. I had to go on a zital, um, and I remember I having to do that scene with him, and it was just. It was just wonderful because he just encompassed you so much and you were so involved, which, I mean, you were anyway, but with him it was, you were there, I was, I was, he was my dad, I was, I, that was, that yeah. was it. He was wonderful to work with. He was a great teacher too. He was a yeah. wonderful teacher, mm. wonderful teacher, yeah, yeah. So it was great to sort of work with someone like that and to watch him every night and to me, he was the Tevye. I mean... I'm, even Topol, I'm sorry, but... Yes, because he came out recently, well, five, six, seven years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hayes was Tevye to a T. Great. Right down to his Tevye with a T. Tevye with a T, And absolutely. a drive to the P and that stands for pool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the music, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, you sound like you're, you're touring a lot. Did you enjoy touring? Oh, look, it was great fun. Yeah. Great fun, uh, you know. It was it, I was I was fortunate, you know. I was had a great cast that I was involved with, and we toured, you know, Australia and New Zealand. We had great times. Uh, sometimes we can talk about, sometimes we can't. Um, but it's interesting because um, recently I was in oh a couple of years ago, I was in South Korea, and um, you know, some friends were in Cats. And I went along to the show and all of that and went back to where they were staying. And I'm going, oh, my God, you're staying in these beautiful apartments. They're touring digs, right? Yes. And they're going, oh, yeah, but it doesn't have this and doesn't have that. I said, hang on. <laughs> Wait a minute. What we used to have to cope with and what we lived in, like I remember um, when we go to Sydney, there was a, um, it was called Santa Fe in King's Cross. I think it might, I don't know if it was still there. Um, but it was all in amongst, amongst the brothels and all that where we used to stay and it was all brown and, you know, some of the rooms were so small and, and dingy and all of that. But I tell you what, we had the best times. So did you have to find your own accommodation or did the company We had to find our own accommodation. Okay, and that was a, a known actor's dig. Absolutely, absolutely. And there was another place in, in Adelaide, Mrs Thebiton. Uh, uh, in, in Thebiton, Mrs Glidden's house in Thebiton was another theatrical dig. Um, a theatrical landlady. Theatrical landlady. Well, she wasn't there, but we... And that, I'm sure that house was haunted, you know. But it was fabulous because, you know, three of us stayed there and we used to have parties and, you know, great times. And then touring New Zealand um, it was interesting back then too because it was... New Zealand was a pretty wild place, but then it was very straight in other ways. I remember the film Ulysses was being played at one time when we were there and there was the theatre that the men would go to and the theatre that the women would go to. We couldn't go together to see this show Ulysses because that was, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But some of the um, uh, uh, the Powder Poof was one of the places we used to go to at night. 
What was the powder poof? The powder poof was it was a club, right? It was all sawdust on the floor and everything else, but it was really dark and all that sort of thing. And Nando's Hideaway, like very much. How many musicals can we reference in this interview? Do you think? Oh, well, a few. Because what did I do? I did Oliver. I did Man La Mancha, Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, Godspell, now Godspell, Charlie you, you Girl, toured to New Zealand. I toured New Zealand, with and Godspell. then then your did your no, well your career didn't hold, but you stayed in New Zealand for quite a while. I did go back to New Zealand. Um, I was going back to New Zealand, and Betty Pounder rang me again actually and said, "Oh, Jan, I want we want you to come in. We're doing a new show. We want you to come in and start rehearsals. It's called A Little Night Music." And I said, oh, Miss Pounder, I'm going to New Zealand on Monday. You know, I can't come in. Oh, she said, you could cancel. Cancel it. You know, we want you. I said, oh, no, I can't. You know, book ticket. I've got my ticket. Well, she said, you get your refund. I said, no, no, I'm going to New Zealand. So that was the end of a little night music. But when I did go to New Zealand um, and stay over there, I did uh, I did a few shows over there. I did um, Hello, Dolly, uh, The Boyfriend, uh um, oh, Dames at Sea, uh, and then I did, uh, uh, oh, what was that? I did a, a straight play over there as well, and I did a panto bad jelly. So um, I did quite, a, and then I got in, did a lot of television. So that was your first foray into television there? No, no, I had you, you done a little bit here in Australia right, beforehand, okay. yeah. Is that what, early homicides? and Early, early, um, very four. early, yeah, and, and even like, Oh, it's getting worse, my age. Um, people in conflict. Never heard of it. And divorce court. Right, okay. Which was some of the very first things. That's very first shot. television. It's yeah. very first early television. Right. Uh, where basically um, you were given a breakdown and your character, but there wasn't really a scripted So it was a lot script. of improvised. A lot of improv, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So it was quite an interesting time. How, yeah. did, how did you become... Um, a stage manager on, in television in New Zealand. A stage manager in television, a floor manager. Floor manager, is that floor what they call it? Floor manager, okay, yes, right a floor manager, just get it right. I will, oh, I'm you. banging my That's coffee true. there. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry yeah. about the noise, people. Uh, I, how did I start? What was I doing? I was, I got a job doing a bit of production assistant uh, in that, and then I sort of thought, well, I'd like to do a bit of floor managing as well. So I knew the guy that was the head floor person, and I went to went to him and sort of said, this is an area I'd like to get into. So he said, fine. So um, I w- at that time, I was I was doing a bit of everything at that time. I I was didn't know if I was Arthur or Martha really because I was in front of camera. I was working behind the camera and I was also doing theatre as well. Is that because you didn't really know what you eventually wanted to do? No, because I just wanted to do everything. You just wanted to do everything. I wanted to encompass everything everything in show business that I could. Yep, great. And and so as a floor manager, I started off doing that and I, you know, did the weather and news. I also floor managed live uh, shows. And that was where I met, you, you know, John Barningham and Lex Van Oz, who John Barningham was the director, and I, I was, um, did uh, on-screen work as well. In fact... Um, as an actor or as a, a presenter? As a performer, yeah. um, singing. And uh, I did I did a few of those shows over there, and I did a lot of um, comedy stuff as well, um, even with um, the late John Clark, who oh, was a Kiwi. Right. yeah. And uh, did a lot of shows over there because he was like Fred Dagg yeah. and that character was very popular in New Zealand. So I did a comedy series. In the, I think it was called The Adventures of Fred Dagg. So I did that as well. So we did a lot of comedy sketches and things. And, and uh, so, so that, was, um, that was a fascinating time in, in television over there. Explain to me Getting the difference it. between performing on stage and on screen. Ah, well... The difference in performing on screen is very much internalised, whereas... Such in thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah. And everything sort of, you know, more naturalistic in a way, whereas because theatre you've got to be a lot more out there. It's very heightened. It's very heightened, very heightened. So you get across that. Although you look at bit. performances over the years, even in, in, in musical theatre, how performances have changed. 
Is it because so of the much. advent of radio mics and, and audio Oh, look, I think that's got a lot to do with it. You can be more subtle because in that you can, stage performance. But sometimes they're a bit too subtle as far as I'm concerned because right. what a lot of them haven't learnt, and you notice particularly on television, they don't know how to do a stage whisper anymore. Right. You know? So, what's so when they whisper? actually when they actually whisper, they're sort of down here, so you really can't hear anything. Right. You know, don't know what they're talking about. You know, am I going deaf or what? Uh, but a stage whisper can be like that. So you can actually so you hear, can the, still the, hear what they're the dialogue. Saying. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So that's you don't hear that a lot. And and back then, of course, we all always used to have, you know, I mean elocution was a big deal back then, which you, your speech all of that, although, you know, a lot of times you learn to speak, you know, a lot of them were speaking with very English accents to a certain extent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it made your, your your words very clear and succinct and diction is a very big thing as far as I'm concerned because I get very annoyed at a lot of um, um, shows and that these days where the performances and the diction is not clear and then you get a... a, a, a a good trained actor or a trained actor from years ago and they come on and you go, oh, I can hear every word because they've had that training. Yeah. And uh, I think it's very important. Well, it's the business of words, isn't it? And Look, that's what I say. Even even in, in singers when they're, when they're singing a song, you say to them, the lyrics must be understood because you are telling a story. And if the audience is not understanding what you're saying... They will turn off, mm. and you've lost them. Mm. You know, and it's the same with dialogue. And and you know, if you can't understand them, you, you just turn off and you start looking around, and, and you know, you're losing the plot a little bit. Yeah. So it's it's important that actors know and keep a very clear diction yeah. with everything. And and one of the things here too, I've noticed, and I get very annoyed with all of this. Um, if they do accents, suddenly. The accents, the words are all running into it. And you go, I can't understand anything you're saying. Yeah. So they need to be very clear. So I don't think a lot or enough work is done on voices these days to be very clear and diction. A lot of them don't. And I've, I, have a, I have a theory of it in, in the fact that over the time we've become very lazy as a human race, we're very lazy in the way we dress. We're very lazy in the way we walk and everything we do. And so our, we're very lazy in our speech. Mm. So our speech now has become, oh, yeah. Mm. And, and you notice with young ones, they everything everything runs into one line so it also doesn't make really any sense. So it all goes like sounds like one word. Yeah. Well, what, what, what? Yes. You know, so no one is finishing off each word. And that's important in theatre. Yeah, any sort of communication. Well, any sort of communication, but particularly in theatre because the audience have to understand what's going on. The storytelling. Absolutely, Mm. you're telling a story. And, you know, so many um, people get frustrated because you can't understand what people... And I think with the mics as well because, I mean, what we were taught is you always play to the man in the back row because he's paid as much as anybody else and he deserves to be to hear everything that's going on. Mm. So that's the way we were taught. But of course with mics and that these days to get all the subtleties, you know, they have to they bring their voices down. And what also happens I find is with with people that is, because we are so lazy and, and our, um, our voices sort of gone back down into our throats now. Yeah, so everybody talks back here like this instead of bringing voices out forward, yes. and forward. Yeah, exactly. So that's my theory that we've become very lazy with everything. It's a pretty good theory. Well, I think it is. Yeah, mm. Doctor mm. Jan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you referenced uh, Charlie Girl. You did yes. before with John Farnham. Mm. Now I guess that was probably one of the first commercial musicals to have celebrity casting because he was a big pop Absolutely. star at the exactly. time. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But he was somebody who certainly, with that and Pippin, could deliver the goods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was it like observing him as a, a novice? Well, it was interesting because you performer. sort of thought, well, how is he going to go? Because he's this pop star. We don't know what he's going to... Clever casting by the producers. Clever, getting clever, clever. But... But John was is such a great guy, and he wanted to learn. 
he wasn't one of them, like, you know, I, I don't mean to sound like a silly old lady, but, I mean, I feel sometimes these days some of them feel they know it all yeah. and they don't want to listen and learn. They know what they want and that's it, you know. But John wanted to learn and as I say, you know, I do I'm teaching and I say to the young actors, you've got to be like a sponge. Take everything in. Learn, listen, you know. This is going to help you. And John wanted to learn, so he was ready to take everything on board. And he did. And he, he worked hard at that. And he, he made it work. And he, he's got a great personality and sense of fun. Yes, and, and that just radiated. And that, he just radiated out across right. the stage, you know, and that really worked for him. Wouldn't and, work for everybody. That, no, and that's that, that, that um, star quality that is something you something, can't particularly oh, learn, yeah. is it? No, 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 no. You've either got it or you ain't. Mm, mm. It's a very rare quality. A lot of people think they've got it, but you go, <laughs> I don't think so, darling. Yes. Mm, mm. Um, you worked a lot in another form of theatre as well, theatre restaurant. I did, yeah. what, yes. what are the challenges in performing to a, a bunch of people who may have full tummies, Full well, with, with it, alcohol it, as well as food. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I worked in two theatre restaurants. I worked at the um, Intercontinental in Auckland in New Zealand in, in a music hall. And uh, and that was interesting too because you'd get a lot of sort of businessmen and all of that in, as you say, that have a few drinks and all that. But it was good. I found that by playing up to them, right. going and sitting on their knee or something like that, they'd get a bit of a shock. A shock. You know, they go, oh, 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 you know, and, and that sort of... You were in control. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so that worked that way. Then I worked at the Stage Door um, Theatre Restaurant in South Melbourne. That was slightly different to the musical. In fact, it was more sort of like families and groups and all that that would come. And, and so you wouldn't get a lot of um, back chat like you would in music musical. Um, because you get a lot of people in musicals sort of throwing, in, you know, a bit of a few comments and all that, and the guys would sort of throw, you'd throw back to them or something. But the theatre restaurant um, in South Melbourne was a little bit different to that. It was more like a show. Um, but it was it was great um, because uh, it was an interesting process of, of, of working with people who are, you know, not always eating food because they would stop. Um, serving them it was a bit different in musical because they'd just be drinking all the time. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was quite a challenge. Um, but I think one of the most challenging things is actually when you're sort of um, performing with children as right. an audience. And I did that with a show at the Playbox um, called The Ed, um, Adventures of... of um, I played um, the Blue Fairy and Mrs Appletree and I think that was a Gary Ginevan production um, and uh, so with children in the audience, that's a challenge. Because they never shut up. Exactly. Be- only because exactly. they're excited and they're, oh, they're totally. talking. Oh, totally, and they're talking and yeah. it's, oh, oh my God. And, and so that, that is quite a challenge. To keep your focus as an actor Absolutely. and deliver the performance. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. because if they're looking at you and pointing at you and all of that sort of thing, that's quite, you know, that can be quite a bit of a mm, moment, but it's, it's a, certainly a challenge to do, but it was great. I mean, it was a wonderful experience to do. And, I mean, I think all of these experiences that I've had have certainly helped me. Well, of course, the, the huge second half of your career has been in casting. Yes. How, how did you move into casting from performance? Well, it was interesting because during Godspell, um, Chris Scheel uh, and, and I, he, he played Judas, uh, would sit backstage between shows having our dinner. We used to take our dinner and so we didn't have to get changed and, you know. Didn't have to go out. Put our makeup on. And so we'd sit there and say, oh, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he'd say, I, I, want, I want to be a, you know, TV director. That's where I want to head. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so great. So there comes a point in a, a performer's career where you start to think about, I can't do this forever. Exactly. I don't want to do it forever. Exactly. How do yeah. I diversify? How do I mm. diversify? What am I going to do? And I said, mm, yeah, I'd like to get into casting. That appeals to me. Well, he ended up being a television director and he did, uh, he worked for the ABC and did a lot of the Jill Perryman shows specials and things. specials and all that for the ABC. And then um, I found out at the time that, um, 
Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. Now, they were one of the big production houses. Oh, yeah. They were the big production of of dramas and all that sort of thing. And, of course, because I'd worked in New Zealand, at that time a lot of the Kiwis had come over and were working here in Australia. So John Barningham had come over, was very successful working here, and, and, and Alex Van Oz was working here and a lot of other Kiwis. And and so I sort of approached them and said, oh, you know, there's this job, John Barning, and sort of said, oh, this job at Crawford's. I went in and I got the job. People thought I was part of the Kiwi Mafia. Right. Which is what they were called when they came to Australia. They were the Kiwi Mafia because the Kiwis come up tried to take the jobs from the Aussies in the television world. And people thought I was part of that Kiwi Mafia group. And I said, well, no, 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 I'm not. I'm an, I'm I'm, I'm a, I'm an Aussie, you know. <laughs> so for a long time, people thought I was a Kiwi. Right. But that's how I, and I went in, I had an interview with, with Bunny Brook, and that's how I got a job as a casting assistant with Bunny Brook. So I worked very closely with Bunny Brook for a so, while. So Bunny Brook was an actor, wasn't she? She was you know, an actor. In the casting. Very well-known um, actor. Probably most famously known for number 96. Absolutely. Flo Patterson. Yes, yes. Tell us about Bunny. What, what sort of woman was Bunny? Oh, she was an extraordinary <laughs> woman, let me say. There's a lot of stories I could say about Bunny. Um, but one of the things I learnt from Bunny Brook was when an actor would go into the audition room, Sometimes she would really rip pieces from them and tell them they shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be doing it. What do you think you're doing? Because they weren't prepared or particularly talented. Different things or not talented. You know, I can do the job better than you and a lot of all of that. And so some of them I felt would leave that audition room ready to slash their wrists because they were so distraught. And so that's something I learnt that you never, ever allow an actor to leave the audition room unless, you know, well, it you doesn't matter if such... they're bad or otherwise they you had to give them everything so I they think... would walk out feeling good about themselves. Well, someone like you understands that, but I think, you know, actors putting themselves on the line are so vulnerable. Oh, totally. They're opening themselves right up totally. for, for a job. Yes. And so it's your responsibility to treat them with the, the exactly. care and respect. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. this is sometimes I feel here we, we don't give our actors enough of that. You yeah, know, yeah, but the, the we, we just like warm props. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, and you know um, that that really annoys me. You know, it's like footballers in this country are terribly well paid and 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 you know get away with anything and everything and get all this kudos. And you go, well, hang on. <laughs> I think there are other people who were you know just as hard, if not harder, and really deserve that a lot more. Yeah. And that's you know performance and that in this country. So and then we get on to an age thing. Right. Yes, tell us In about this that. country. Yes. Which if you're in England or America as an older actor, you are respected and given kudos. But here, once you reach a certain time, whether it's 35, 40 in this country, that's it. And, you know, what, what gets me is we, we've got some wonderful, wonderful actors in this country, older actors who could teach the young ones a hell of a lot, yeah. are not being used. And and so, you know, it's to me it's a tragedy because that's one of the things that Pounder taught me was you always get your older actors in because they support the younger ones. Yes. And like, like those guide older them. women in Oliver that taught Absolutely, you. Yeah. absolutely. And that's something that Pounder taught me and I think is a great thing and that's something I think we've, we've lost because you go to these shows and you see all these young ones doing it and I'm not saying that they're not talented. They are, but they haven't learnt all the finesse of performing that they could learn from some of the older performers. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, well, it's nearly three years ago, um, I did Funny Girl for the production company. I went back on stage again in a musical, which I loved. Um, I loved it. was great. Were you nervous about that, We're not um, returning to the stage It, it, it was a bit nerve-wracking. Decades. I'm sort of thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God. My first day of rehearsal, I was freaking. Um, and, and, you know, I was freaking for a while, and then I thought, oh, my God, now, you know, then it came to sort of rehearsal and everything. 
But once I walked out on stage, it was like, oh, God, I'm home again. I'm back home. And I, it was wonderful. I was working with Carolina Connor Brilliant. and and um, David Hobson and um, Nancy Hayes, Judy Roberts. And it was Nancy Hayes, Judy Roberts and myself, ex-JCW, Pounder Girls. We were all back on stage. Having a hoop. Having a hoop. Yep. And, you know, it was great. But what I'm, the point I wanted to get to was in one of the reviews it said this show, it was inspirational casting because it had people of different age groups that actually worked. Hello, guys, it works. You know, having young ones playing different age groups doesn't work. No, no. You've got to present the world of the play, don't you? Mm. A a community. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Of course, uh, it would be remiss remiss of me not to talk about Neighbours briefly. Oh, right, yes, yes, yes. huge... uh, Mm. How long were you casting director? About 24 years. That's an extraordinary <laughs> spell, isn't it? It is. It is terrifying, really. And you were on it from the ground floor, weren't you? Yes, yes. That was uh, Channel from Channel Seven Days, and um, I was casting Prisoner, right, at the time, uh, because I'd, I'd when you moved I was at Grundy's, hadn't you? I, I was at Crawford's, and I got a phone call from Ian Smith, whom I'd worked with in Fiddler on the Roof, who was working on Prisoner. And he rang and said, you know, do you want to go out for lunch? And I went, oh, free lunch. Hello, yes, I'm on for a free lunch. Went out for lunch and that's where, you know, Lex Vanos was there who, who was, uh, you know, he was a Canadian but he lived in New Zealand. He was the producer of Prisoner. And they offered me um, the role of casting director for Grundy Television, which even at the time I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? I, I don't know that I'm, you know got enough experience because I hadn't worked I'd worked at Crawford's I think for about 18 months anyway I decided to take it on so that's where I took over casting prisoner but for years as a performer obviously stood you in good stead absolutely yeah with absolutely because working with actors and working with actors understanding performances them, out of them getting yeah. performances from them know how far I could push them all of that sort of thing absolutely made such a difference and respect for them and care for them because I always had love and care for the actors. That was my priority, yeah. you know. Uh, and um, and so, yeah, so Prisoner. And then um, I had a phone call one day from Reg Watson saying, we're thinking of doing a new show and um, I'll send you down a couple of scripts, have a read through, start making a few notes of any actors because we're going to think we're really going to do it. And so the scripts came down and they were called Living Together, which was the working title initially of the show and uh, and then so Channel 7 decided they would do it and I started, you know, the casting and that process and so that's how Neighbours began. My philosophy at that time was to get actors who had experience but not that the public really knew that they hadn't done a lot of television right. because what... Even with television today, you see the same people coming up all the time. So the public is losing belief in the characters. You can't invest. I absolutely agree. You can't invest in a story of thinking, oh, here's Buggerlug's up again. Exactly. He played a drug lord last week. Now he's a nice, caring father. Hello. Yes. And there's so many actors out there who can deliver the goods. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, of course, these days everything is how many hits you've got online. Yeah. You know. And that's happened in musical theatre too. Mm -hmm. Uh, how big is social media following? How big is social yeah. media following? I went, but that, what about talent, please? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't care how many hits they've got online. Yeah. There's so many talented people out there that are not being used instead of these people that are going, don't get me started on that, I'm getting really angry. <laughs> um, well, na- Neighbours explodes, of course. And yes. It, it, why do you think it was so huge in the U- or is so huge in the UK? It's not as much now, but back then it was because... Uh, you know, I mean, you know, the UK gets dark early. All right. Mm. You know, we had blue skies, sunshine, swimming pools out there, um, gorgeous, fresh-faced so it's escapism. young yeah. people. It's total escapism. Mm. And that's one of the things I, I say to people today, even these young ones. I had to do a short movie the other day and I said to these young students, look, guys, you've got to remember the bottom line in this industry is entertainment. You know, entertainment. I mean, how many graduate um, things that you would go to and everybody be, do these deep, meaningful, dark 
scenes and all of that sort of thing, and you go, oh, no, darling, it's boring, you know. We don't want to watch that entertain us. As we all casting people, agents, we want to be entertained. The public want to be entertained, you know. And, and the way the world is out there, we want escapism, entertainment, pure entertainment. Yeah. And that's why I think some of these terrible shows like those reality things, mm. people are watching them, mm. you know. Mm. Because, you know, we do we do a lot of sort of heavy dramas and cop shows and all of that. And, you know, it's happening out on our streets. We don't want to see that now. Mm. We want to be entertained. And that's, you know, you go to a show like Jersey Boys. Yeah. Which, you know, you know those songs, and but it's got a good story. And it's, it's not, you know, the guys aren't television personalities or names. But they're all talented musical theatre people, and it's exciting to see. Yeah, lifts you. Oh, you come out of the theatre. And, and, you know, I mean, when Jersey Boys opened, I believe that for the first time in 30 years they had to put the guardrails up because people were out there getting autographs. Oh, brilliant. The public at the stage door. Lovely. Lovely. Which is fantastic, which is the way it used to be. And do you know that um, I'm getting off the track a bit, but I'm going back yeah, we'll, to theatre. We'll get back again. to Ramsey Street in a minute. But All right, yeah. yeah. Go back to theatre. What you know, the um, I was just thinking, Jean Batty and Olive King Kingy used to tell us that when they were younger, to go into the theatre when they were working, they had to wear the full evening gowns, the long gloves, the furs. The men all had to wear their dinner suits. The whole thing. Then they'd go in, change into their Costumes change makeup. When the show finished, they'd get into their street makeup, change back into their evening gowns and everything to walk out the door because they had to dress for their public. And now you see them come out the stage door. Tracksuit. Tracksuit pants, hoodies, shorts, (laughs) thongs, and you go, hello? Oh, really? Even opening nights. Don't get me started on opening nights. Got to dress for the theatre. Dress for the theatre. I mean, I remember we'd go out on stage and you'd look out and you'd see people in their evening gowns and all of that and the after show parties. You know, the boys would make us these fabulous evening gowns. We'd go off to opening night parties. And now you go to the opening night and, they, and once again they look as if they're going shopping at the local shopping centre. Mm. I went to the opening night just last week. I'm looking around. And that was and at that... Aldi across the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was at Aldi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Not at the State Theatre. Now, as, as casting director of a show like Neighbours, probably especially during the 80s, it's quite a powerful position. You're a mm. potential star maker. Does that affect your relationships with people? And you know, um, It did to a certain extent. Yeah, I imagine it would. It did. It did. And, and that was very difficult because um, I, you know, I had people come to me saying, you know, they, you know, friends saying, I really want... To work, I want to get on the show, and I said, "Well, I can't just create a job, for give you. a job yeah. to you yeah, because yeah. you're my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, there's got to be a role there. You've got to be right for it, and all of that. And, and that was hard. That was really hard, you know. But uh, I couldn't do anything. I had to get the right person for the job, and that was it. Not just because they were a friend or anything like that. So yeah, it, it, it sometimes put me in a very difficult position. Yeah, I and I think probably I lost a closeness to friends through that. Yeah. Mm. Um, you must have a good memory for faces and, and names. Look, I do. it's probably not as good as it used to be right. uh, because I'm not as totally involved in it. But, uh, yeah, I did totally because my I felt my job was to know every possible actor out there. And how did you do that? I used to go to everything I possibly could. I used to go to shows, theatre, um workshops, I'd sit in on workshops or anything like that, make sure I could see everyone, you know, um, because that's what I had to do. I had to know everyone that was out there. That was that was important. Um, and increasing your knowledge of who's out there also, I suppose, makes your job a lot easier. So if well, a casting brief comes absolutely. along, you think, ah, I remember that kid I saw. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly, in, in, in that show or whatever, I'll get them in, yeah. Not relying... And, and what happens these days is a lot of them are self-tests, um, all that sort of thing, which really, to me, you can't tell what a person is like because it's very important to know what the actor is like as well because you know they've got to work with other people. Yeah. And if you're looking at a self-test, you don't know what they're like. No. You know? 
at least uh, if you've got them in the room, you can sort of absolutely. You get to know them, them and you have a chat yeah. with them. You get the feel for them and all that sort of thing. You think, yeah, I think they could work in with them, you know. But on a self test, no. Did you ever make casting decisions and you later thought, oh, perhaps I've made a mistake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Which is only only human, I guess. It's only human. Yeah, I yeah. mean, nobody's perfect, hmm. you know. And if you think you're perfect, you've got a problem. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I, I went, mm, yeah. oh, I made a mistake there. Yeah. But you know, you learn from your mistakes. How are you going to learn if you're yeah. not learn? You don't learn from your mistakes. You get the riders to put them in a car or an yeah. explosion, or <laughs> exactly, a crash. they get killed off very quickly <laughs> or sent to the desert. <laughs> uh, what did you love most about your role as a casting director? I love discovering new talent. Yeah, yeah. That must be very fulfilling. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That was that was the exciting that was the exciting part. Discovering new talent and but you know one of the main things was finding um, the passion in the talent and those that were really ready to sort of work and learn was important. Not the ones who think I'm going to be a star or I want to go to America and be a big star, all that sort of thing, you know. Mm. I mean, the ones that are in America now and successful, they worked hard. They didn't come in saying I want to go to America and and be a a movie star. They just wanted to work hard and learn their craft. Mm. But today, because I do some teaching... They want immediate fame and fortune. And you say, what do you want out of acting? I want to go to America. And you're like, hang, hang on, whoa. You know, yeah, and you know it was interesting because someone was saying to me, "So many of the buses going <laughs> to the airport at the time pilot season is happening in America. Or all these, you know, would be actors, but I mean, a lot of them over there, and they never, nothing's ever going to happen. No, for them, so much. A lot of them come back with, you know, Long because faces. those some of those some of those Americans, I mean, they work hard and they're super talented. Yeah, they they really are triple threats. Yeah, and I think you know. A lot of them here have still got a long way to go. What do you love most about performing? Um, performing, I love I love the combination of, of, of working with that audience, getting the feel of that audience, the love and, 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 and the fact that the audience have enjoyed what you've done is just wonderful. Um, working in television or film is, because I did this short film recently, it was working with these young people who are passionate about what they want to do. And that, to me, is exciting because that, to me, says the future of our industry is is in good hands. Mm. And and even um, in in television, television is is a very disposable industry. It, It picks you up and throws you off and, you know, that's it. Theatre is different. Um, I have friends that I made in my very first show that I still, you know, care about and stay in contact with. Brilliant. And and that to me is important. I mean, I think your theatre family are the ones that stay with you forever. Mm. Whereas your television family, it's such a disposable industry, you go, oh, you're right. If you our know? paths cross again, they exactly. do. Exactly, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I think there is that. Difference. So it sounds like you're not fully retired yet. No, 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 no. I've been sort of quite busy. Um, It would be nice getting back on the board. I mean, I love doing Funny Girl. Um, It wasn't a long season. I I wouldn't like to go to as much as I love touring. (laughs) Years ago, years ago, and it was great fun. It was party time. We had good times. I don't think I like. I wouldn't like touring again. Um, I think you become you want to be settled in your own environment and yeah. all of that sort of thing, living in those apartments and all that. No, nah, no, nah, well, You nah. want your own coffee machine, don't you? Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Jan, thank you so much for talking to stages today. It's oh, been look, an absolute it's delight. It's been an absolute pleasure. And lovely to catch up with you again after and, uh, exactly, many, many years. Exactly, because we first met mm. in Ballarat when I was adjudicating the Royal South Street. TV auditions, yes. and you were there. I was your reader. Reading yeah. there for me. So that was a long time ago. Yeah, well, it's, it's great that we could have a coffee again. Wow, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You <laughs> sort of think, whoa, <laughs> when you 
realise when you go through everything, you think, oh my God, I did that too, and I did that, and I've covered a lot of... Um, You've covered a lot of ground. Ground. And there's so much more that we haven't and, even and talked about. And so much about. we haven't even talked yeah, about yeah. yet. I mean, God, yes, so maybe in we'll the come industry. Back. We'll, we'll, do an, we'll do another chat <laughs> for Series 3 or something like that. Oh, yes, we haven't talked about all the, uh, you know, the other little um, extra little numbers from our friend Mr Ritchie. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. all of that. Mm. Exactly. I said I had to get his name on there. You didn't know your love. Mutual <laughs> friend. It's my bumblebee, Stephen. He'll love that. He'll love that. Thanks, Jan. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you, Pete. Wasn't that terrific? Always something new to learn on stages. If you enjoyed this conversation, you're bound to enjoy many more from the stages archive. You'll find conversations with Tony Lamont, Geraldine Turner, and Andrew McFarlane, just to name a few. All with fascinating tales across all stages. Find the podcast on Wooshka or in iTunes or Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe so that you may receive each new episode as it drops. And take the time to write and review the podcast, please. It helps us reach a broader audience and share these great conversations. I'm Peter Ayers and you've been listening to Stages. Stages.